Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Snowstorm, the sequel. We're prepared for winter, but I don't think a lot of people are. Which parts of the province will get hit the hardest? Winter blunderland. Our provincial highways and byways and off-ramps and on-ramps are simply not being maintained. Why we still can't seem to keep our roads clear, even with plenty of warning. And backpedaling in Stanley Park. To remove it and transition to something better, obviously we'll have a, a price tag with it. The cost of removing the temporary bike lane and what the park board is planning instead. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And here we snow again. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it had to be said. Snowfall warnings are in effect as another icy blast is set to hit the province. That's right. And despite the puns, we have team coverage for you tonight from the conditions on the roads to delays at YVR. We'll be watching the impact on the island and we'll let you know what's coming up next. But the roads have not even recovered from the snow that fell on Sunday. Many areas still a slushy, slippery, icy mess. Travis Prasad kicks off our coverage tonight. Travis, the freezing temperatures are definitely not helping the situation. They really aren't, Chris. It's been slippery on the roads all day with the freezing temperatures across the region. All that snow that fell yesterday quickly turned into ice. And unfortunately, a lot of that didn't get cleared. After a snowy Sunday, the Monday morning commute slow and slippery. Highway 1 through Burnaby looking more like a skating rink. A thick layer of ice failed to be cleared overnight. Big problems at the Lowheed Skytrain Station bus loop as well. A bus couldn't make it up an icy hill, blocking other buses from starting their routes on time. This time of year, there's no question drivers should be ready for anything. I don't think people are really prepared. I mean, in the back of my car, I've got a steel shovel to shovel out my tires if I get stuck. But some say snow removal efforts need to be more consistent across jurisdictions. Here's Lowheed Highway through Coquitlam. The road is covered in snow, but a few hundred meters west of that in Burnaby, that same highway is clear. I can tell you if the track record of the last few weeks is any indication, I am worried about where we're going this week. New Westminster City Councillor Daniel Fontaine wants the Ministry of Transportation to create a regional snow response. We're going into that Christmas period where people want to visit family and friends. This is an opportunity for people to get together again. And if they're restricted or unable to do that because we simply haven't maintained our roads, I think the public rightly is going to be asking some, some really tough questions and should be upset about that. While getting around on the main streets is manageable, most of the side streets in Metro Vancouver are covered in snow. And with more snow falling, things could get even worse. Side streets and residential streets aren't a part of our current services that we offer unless they're an access route to a school or a hospital or a priority hill. As for the highways, Main Road Contracting is the company responsible for maintaining them. They did send us a general email outlining their snow clearing efforts, but they did not respond to our request for an interview specifically about what we've seen 
out on the roads. Chris, Sophie. All right, Travis Prasad reporting a new west for us tonight. Thanks, Travis. So let's take a closer look at the snow removal issue when it comes to provincially maintained highways. Richard Zussman has more on why it continues to be such a challenge. This is a road cruising North Vancouver plow, and this is a road the province is responsible for. Notice the difference? These road maintenance contractors uh, are, are skilled at what they do. They're prepared, and the province has certainly uh, added additional funding preparing for winter events like this. The province once again under fire for the way highways are cleared. The maintenance work across BC contracted out has been for decades. In Metro, the work is done by Main Road. The 10-year contract includes all road maintenance, from potholes to repairs to, in this case, snow removal. Yesterday, we had an incident on Highway 1 right at the cut where the road had to be shut down because it wasn't properly prepared. This at a time when we're seeing actual municipal roads that are getting plowed and salted um, you know, quite frequently. And again, it's the province that continues to drop the ball. The province is asking contractors to apply more sand or salt than in the past, and 100 pieces of machinery are now out on the lower mainland. Colder than expected temperatures also leading the province using sand instead of salt. That's really there to restore traction on the highway so vehicles can start moving forward um, and be able to grip the road. But again, that only works if you have tires with adequate tread depth. The province continually reviews the way in which roads are being plowed by contractors. What is not being reviewed is moving those plowing services to the Ministry of Emergency Management or actually bringing the plowing services back under the province's purview. I think it's really about adding the resources, which we have done, and improving the standards about how plowing is done. One challenge the province has been facing is reckless drivers. A crash, vehicles on the roadside or not moving out of the way, add to the challenge of road clearing. There are situations where we're, you know, drivers aren't pro properly equipped and we're experiencing some challenging uh, issues in very localized areas. And while the province is responsible for the roads, drivers are responsible to determine whether these road conditions are ones they should be driving in. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, Vancouver Island is also bracing for the latest storm, with BC Transit warning commuters of possible serious impacts there. Kylie Stanton is freezing outside, live in Victoria right now with more of the preps that have been going on all day. Kylie. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Uh, from the Malahat to the downtown core, crews have been out and busy all day long, but this snow only really started falling in the last hour or so, and from the looks of things, the work is only just beginning. Right now we got a tandem plow heading out to the Trans-Canada Highway, the Malahat. This is what trying to stay one step ahead of a storm looks like. We're putting salt down in spots and on the hills we're putting sand down. MCOM Services has crews working around the clock, tackling the highways and main roads throughout the South Island. Just trying to make it easier for the commuters to get home from work and getting ready for the storm. A winter storm warning is in effect for Greater Victoria and much of Vancouver Island, with up to 20 centimetres of snow expected to fall in just a two-day period. City crews are bracing for the impact. Yeah, we, we're, we're ready for it. Since Sunday, 75 tonnes of salt have made it to the roadways. Seven trucks are scheduled to run overnight, with another seven on standby. But whether these preparations go far enough, all depends on just how fast the snow comes down. In terms of how much is too much, that's a tough question to answer for sure. But there is a tip point for us where we can't keep up. The same 
same goes for BC Transit. A handful of routes are already being detoured due to the conditions, and it's warning customers to expect even more delays once the snow really hits. We are just asking customers to perhaps um, plan a little bit of extra time for your journey, as well as we appreciate your patience during this time as we're all working really hard to get you there safely. For the next few days, temperatures are expected to hover below the freezing mark. And while the broom seems to do the trick for now, it's probably best to get that shovel ready just in case. We'll see how heavy that is and if the forecast is correct. Now the snow is starting to stick here on the roads. Drivers are being asked to avoid the roads if possible, giving crews a chance to work throughout the night and giving all of us a better chance of getting around come tomorrow morning. Chris, Sophie? Ho hoping for the best out there on the island. Kylie, thanks very much. Well, frustrations on the roads and frustrations in the air. Many flights are also being impacted by this winter blast. Krista Dow is live at YVR with more on that part of the story and what travelers need to know. Krista. Sophie, travelers will need to plan ahead and arrive early as today is among one of the busiest travel days of the season with about 65,000 passengers passing through YVR and at last count we counted more than 90 flights that were either delayed or cancelled so as you can imagine lots of frustration for drivers and some travelers we talked to say they waited more than 12 hours at the airport some waiting since 5 a.m. and are still waiting hoping to depart within the next hour or so uh, many of them frustrated as they're losing precious holiday time and it is one of many scenarios playing out today and on Sunday as weather and the busy holiday travel impacting flights. YVR officials telling us they are prepared for tonight's snow event with plenty of staff and equipment on standby ready to respond. It is little comfort for those who've spent much of the day here blaming both the airlines and themselves. I think it's my fault because in order to save some money, I choose this company. But at the end of the day, when I add my missing day plus my vehicle plus all what I bought, I'm losing money. So it's not a good idea. Yes, we always have extra staff at this time of the year. We've got extra staff on the, on the floor uh, out front here to help and greet people when they arrive. Uh, and then we've got a fully staffed snow team out on the airside, clearing the runways, taxiways and aprons and keeping it safe for everyone to travel. And Sophie, YVR officials say Thursday, December 22nd is projected to be the busiest travel day of the season. So they are reminding people to plan uh, early, arrive early and prepare for those inevitable delays. Sophie. All right. Sorry for those who have to travel <laughs> later this week. <laughs> Present company included. Exactly. All right. Thanks very much, Krista. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with more on what's coming and when, Yvonne? Yeah, the timeline, it's already started uh, the snowfall. It is going to intensify, though, especially as we get overnight leading in towards our Tuesday morning commute. That's the big concern. So plan ahead. We'll have some of the heaviest snowfall for tomorrow morning and then easing off as we get in through the afternoon. There's the blanket that we can see on the radar right now, the satellite as well. Here's where we're seeing the snowfall warnings. It's blanketing the southern half of the province. It extends right in towards the interior. The amounts that we're tracking for this snow event, 10 and up to 20 centimeters for most areas 
across uh, the lower mainland, extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Higher amounts where Kylie is in Victoria could see upwards of 20 centimeters. The Malahat will be a big concern through tomorrow. We could see 20 and up to 30 centimeters. Once again, most areas along the south coast, the island will start to see it taper off as we get in towards tomorrow morning through the afternoon along the south coast for Metro Vancouver. Higher amounts, though, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we still have extreme cold. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Chris. All right, we'll check in then. Thank you, Yvonne. Work is underway to remove the separated bike lane through Stanley Park, a job expected to cost several hundred thousand dollars. So what's the plan to give cyclists a safe lane to ride in and how quickly could it replace what's there right now? That story next on the News Hour. Terrifying moments for some Delta residents. Why this was an unusually tricky fire to put out coming up on the news hour. And a local group helping Ukrainian moms the baby essentials they desperately need and how you can help coming up. Right now, though, we are getting a better idea of the potential price tag to remove those temporary bike lanes in Stanley Park. The cost outlined in a staff memo to park board commissioners. And as Imadagahi reports, it won't be cheap just as the city is dealing with the cost of inflation into the next fiscal year. 1,000 traffic cones, 250 signs and more than 800 concrete barriers, not to mention kilometers of painted lines. The ABC Vancouver majority on park board decided it's best to remove the temporary bike lane in Stanley Park. Now they are finding out how much it will cost. To remove it and, and transition to something better, obviously we'll have a, a price tag with it. In a memo from the Vancouver Park Board general manager to commissioners, the estimates for the project to remove the bike lane pegged the bill from anywhere between $375,000 to $425,000. Funded, quote, out of the capital plan from accounts dedicated to permanent cycling infrastructure. The park board does not have that kind of extra money lying around. In fact, the budget that this money is coming from is for money we would be putting into bike facilities elsewhere in the system. Earlier this month, the only non-ABC commissioner on the park board, Tom Digby, argued the temporary bike lane should stay in place while the permanent infrastructure is planned and delivered. What we're hoping is that in the meantime, uh, the park board's um, going to work on designing the new lanes and hopefully there's potential for people to uh, put in place sections of the new lane while they're removing the old. Part of uh, us getting elected was to make these big decisions to uh, finally address the temporary nature of this Stanley Park bike lane. Park Board Chair Scott Jensen says the price of removing the bike lane was expected and argues the money used will not be at the expense of other city bike network projects. The bike lane as it exists now uh, you know, was over $700,000 to install. Uh, further to that, you know, we're losing about $400,000 every year in lost revenue for the, uh, from parking revenue. The memo also says crews will have to finish the work at night, inflating labour costs. And the entire process of removing the temporary bike lane is not expected to be done until April at the earliest. Emadagahi, Global News. New single-use plastic regulations will come into effect this week. As Global's Taya Fast reports, the new ban will largely impact what you get from grocery stores and restaurants.
The next step in the process of banning single-use plastics will come into effect on Tuesday. Which is when the importation and manufacturing of single-use plastics will no longer be allowed in Canada. This includes plastic shopping bags, carry-out containers, plastic cutlery and straws. Meaning the next time you go grocery shopping, make sure to bring along a reusable bag. According to the federal government, this ban will result in the elimination of over 1.3 million tons of plastic waste and more than 22,000 tons of plastic pollution, which equals over a million full garbage bags. The implementation of the ban will come in waves, an approach aimed at giving businesses more time to adapt to the changes. The next step includes the sale of single-use plastics and the manufacturing, importation and sale for export. The federal government is working towards a complete ban of all single-use plastics by this time next year. TFS Global News. Just ahead, labor relations on life support. We weren't making much progress at all and really moving um, towards the, the key issues. A rock star mediator tries to close the gap that could keep you from getting an ambulance when you need it. And the Lower Mainland Police Force testing out body cameras. Four Delta police officers will be wearing body cameras starting in February as part of a new pilot project that will last six months. The police board has approved the purchase of four more body cameras for the patrol services unit at a cost of about $6,400. That means frontline officers responding to calls for service in Delta may show up wearing the new body cams. It's an expansion of the current body cam policy that uses them for training, gang violence prevention during traffic stops and at protests. Delta's police department is the first in the province to deploy body cameras. It's down to the wire for the BC Ambulance Paramedics Union and its employer with veteran negotiator Vince Reddy trying to bring the two sides closer together in their contract negotiations. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the stalemate persists while ambulance service across the region needs its own resuscitation. BC's ambulance paramedics have spent months trying to get a deal with the Health Employers Association of BC. Then, last week, veteran negotiator Vince Reddy committed two days to bringing both sides together. Still nothing. Now, the union says there could be job action. Absolutely, that's something that we're considering at this point because up till now we haven't really seen any progress. Weekend Snow highlighted the paramedic problem. According to the union, on Saturday, 60 lower mainland ambulances were out of service due to about 40% not being staffed. At one point, 82 calls were waiting to be dispatched. Over the whole day, it was 60 to 70 calls in the queue waiting, and some of those were uh, code 3 high-acuity calls. In Burnaby Saturday night, there was only one primary care ambulance when there would normally be six. BC's health minister says he remains optimistic, noting Vince Reddy hasn't walked away from the table. There's lots of issues at the table and we're working through it, but if uh, people know uh, Vince Reddy, they know that, um, that uh, he's not enthusiastic about bargaining through uh, in public, shall we say, that he, he wants to bring people together and drive for an agreement. And I expect uh, that's the work he's doing now. Both sides meet again Wednesday, joined by Vince Reddy. Wages remain a key issue. It will be a critical day, a last push to find common ground before the end of the year and avert possible job action. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. After performing a record number of surgeries over the last year, B.C. has 
almost caught up on operations postponed by the pandemic. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith, obviously this is good news, but a lot of people are still waiting. Yeah, it's sort of a glass half full, half empty situation, Chris. So today the province releasing details of about 25,000 people who have had their surgeries postponed or cancelled or delayed because of COVID have now received those surgeries. But the wait lists are still there. So take a look at the wait list. Just pick some random categories of, of procedures. Knee replacement, about 50% of people on the list get the knee replacement in 24 weeks. 62 weeks uh, for a 90% clearance, though. Hip replacement, big numbers there as well, 48 weeks for 90 90% uh, uh, clearance. Sh shoulder surgery and cataracts, better numbers there, but the wait list are part of the healthcare system. Adrian Dix noting today the reason those surgeries were caught up and why record surgeries continue to be performed because of all the changes made in the system due to COVID-19. Basically things like operating rooms are open more often. Here's the minister. We didn't just act to address what was a, an extraordinary challenge, which is the cancellation of tens of thousands of surgeries. We made a permanent reform in the system that's ongoing and growing, a commitment to patients that their interests would be put first in our system and that we would reduce overall surgical wait times. So again, more numbers released by the ministry today suggest that wait times overall are actually shorter than they were before the pandemic began. But I can tell you, just based on my correspondence today, that's sort of cold comfort for people who've been waiting for surgeries for a long time. Those numbers are, are high in many places. And again, you can go to the Ministry of Health website. You can click on uh, wait times and you can find out your local uh, specialists, how long you could wait for if you go with them and what health authority you're in can determine how long your waits are as well. So a lot of information on the Ministry of Health website. Yeah, over a year in some of those cases, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's too long. Thanks, Keith. Well, after nine days of a significant search effort for a missing hiker on Vancouver Island, RCMP are suspending the operation. 38-year-old Melissa McDevitt disappeared from a hiking trail in the Souk Potholes on December 10th. 17 search and rescue teams and 170 personnel from across the province assisted in the search. Her father also flew in from North Carolina to help, but at the seventh day mark, the search turned into a recovery mission that has now been suspended. RCMP continue to investigate her disappearance and are asking anyone with information to call them. And coming up next, punishment for a terrible crime. Everybody was glad that it was over. The sentence for a man who killed the people closest to him. Also tonight, escape from a war zone, an urgent plea to help mothers and babies on the run from the conflict in Ukraine. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Langley man is going to prison for life with no chance of parole for 15 years. Kia Ibrahimian learned his fate after he pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. He killed his brother, mother, and her partner two years ago in Langley. Kamal Karamali has more. Kia Ibrahimian showed almost no emotion when Justice Murray Block sentenced him to life in prison with no chance of parole for 15 years. Throughout his appearance, he wore a gray sweater, sat hunched over looking down most of the time while occasionally swaying back and forth. Meanwhile, friends and family of the victims in the public gallery cried openly. 
In June of 2020, the Langley man killed his 50-year-old mother, Tatiana Baziar, her partner, 46-year-old Francesco Sangrilli, and his 23-year-old brother, Befren, each one dying from multiple stab wounds from a large knife. Ibrahimian then set their entire home on fire. He pleaded guilty to second-degree murder on all three counts in October. The court also heard Ibrahimian had long-standing mental health issues, including depression, and was subsequently diagnosed with schizophrenia. He had also attempted suicide more than once. Crown told the hearing that Ibrahimian had issues with his transgendered sibling and expressed hatred towards trans people before the killings. The court ordered psychiatric evaluation determined that Ibrahimian will need ongoing psychiatric assessments and medications, and he's at very high risk of relapse without psychiatric treatment. Meanwhile, the victim's friends and family say they're relieved to start putting this entire ordeal behind them. Everybody was glad that it was over. Definitely, it's been a long two and a half years of all this crap, and so I think everybody's relieved. And I think everybody's sad. Everybody will be very sad for a long time. The family, though, remains concerned about having to relive the trauma in 15 years when Ibrahimian is eligible for parole. Kamel Karamali, Global News. A dramatic scene in Delta this morning where a house with five people inside went up in flames. Oh, where's two? Oh, two more, two more. There's only two more now. It's believed bystanders were able to help get all the residents and their pets out safely and even move a vehicle away from the fire. Flames poured from the second floor windows when firefighters arrived on scene in the 10,000 block of Sheaves Place near the Alex Fraser Bridge around 11 a.m. Witnesses say firefighters were forced to fight the fire from outside due to a large number of items in the home that made access difficult. Investigators say it's too early to determine a cause. Merritt RCMP are searching for a vehicle after someone inside shot at an officer before speeding away early this morning. Just after 5 a.m., an officer was investigating a suspicious Jeep parked at a rest stop near Hamilton Hill Road. The officer began walking toward the vehicle when the rear passenger side window rolled down and someone fired a shot. The officer fired several rounds back as the vehicle sped off westbound toward the 286 interchange. It's unclear whether anyone in the Jeep was injured, but the officer wasn't hurt. RCMP have spent all day searching for the vehicle. It looks like this, a dark-colored mid-2000s Jeep Cherokee with a square body style, which may have bullet holes or broken windows. There was nothing uh, that led to this, no event prior to. It was just a proactive stop by a member who was just curious to know why this vehicle was stopped there. If you see a, a heightened presence around Merritt over the next couple of days while we're looking for this vehicle, don't be surprised. Um, and again, if you happen to notice a vehicle that matches that description, please contact us immediately. RCMP are asking for some help finding the person who stole a totem pole from the Coquitlam First Nation Band office. The pole stands just over a meter tall with an owl on the top and carries a significant cultural and sentimental value to the community. On October 12th, surveillance cameras spotted a man pull up in a U-Haul, hop over the fence, pick up the totem pole, and haul it away. If you know who the suspect might be, you're asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. 
A Vancouver charity says its supplies are running critically low after a spike in parents needing help getting vital gear for their babies. Among the people turning to baby go-round are refugees from the war in Ukraine. As Erin MacArthur reports, mothers arrive with very little and appreciate all the help they can get. It's been 10 months since Anna Chebatar fled Ukraine. Pregnant at the time with an eight-year-old daughter, she packed whatever she could carry and walked away from everything she knew, leaving her husband and parents behind. Yeah, it's, um, it's a day I'm crying a lot of. Once in Canada, her journey was really just beginning. A complicated pregnancy resulted in a lengthy hospital stay. Baby Aaron was born five weeks premature. She had nothing. She needed warm clothes, a stroller, even a crib. Through her community network, she was put in touch with Baby Go Round, a charity that helps new families with essentials. Without the donations, she had no idea how she was going to provide even the basics to her newborn son. Uh, Baby Go Round gave us not clothes, nothing. They gave us support. Baby Go Round has filled that need for families around Vancouver for a decade now. But this year, the demand is unprecedented. Refugees from Ukraine only a part of the clients they serve. In the last few months, there have been 50% more requests for help. And while donations are up, they are not keeping up. We're about a week away from running out of the supplies we need in order to meet the demand we're seeing in January. The charity is always looking for gently used strollers, bassinets, change table pads, play mats. Normally closed over Christmas, they have extended hours and opened up for more donation days into the new year, hoping to reach families who have transitioned away from baby gear. When you donate to Baby Go Round, uh, you get the gift of also knowing that a family who really needs the items is going to receive them. Jebatar is still speechless at the kindness she has received from complete strangers. Throughout her journey, across war-torn Ukraine, into Poland and now Canada, every time she has asked for help, it has been provided. One day she hopes to be able to give back a portion of that kindness. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And coming up on the news hour, falling fortunes for Elon Musk. How his handling of the Twitter takeover is starting to infect his other interests, too. And power play, what BC Hydro says about the frequency of damaging storms. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Season's greetings from all of us here at Global News. We could have worn something more festive for yeah. that card. Well, we don't always know they're doing that. <laughs> Next year. Happy holidays. A new report from BC Hydro shows storms during the holiday season are becoming stronger and more frequent. That's right. The company says over the last five years, winter storms have caused a 500% jump in the number of power outages. According to the report, at least one storm during the holidays over the past 10 years has had a major impact, like the one in 2018 that knocked out power to 750,000 customers. BC Hydro says it's a good reminder to always be prepared with emergency kits 
and preparedness plans just in case. This is the time of year when Yvonne Shell's phone blows up because people are texting her for personalized forecasts. Personalized forecasts. I already got three today. Travel forecasts mostly, right? Not including the ones we ask you every time you come into the studio. I just had two while I was standing here just before. (laughs) One from Soph and one from Justin upstairs. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me plan it out for everyone. Thanks, guys, and good evening, everyone. I wanted to start off with the extreme cold that we've been seeing across the province. These are some of the record lows that we saw early this morning. For example, Punsee Mountain, minus 46.8. The old record back in 2008 was minus 40.4. Quinnell, minus 37.5. Williams Lake, minus 35. And Lytton at minus 20. Extreme cold. It'll continue all the way towards our Thursday and potentially into Friday. So a heads up. We still have those bitter cold temperatures right across the board and the risk of frostbite will be a big concern. We're also tracking some snowfall. Here's what we're looking at, though, as we get in through the next uh, 24 hours, even overnight tonight. The snow has begun across the lower mainland. We'll see it across the island. It'll intensify, though. Some of the heaviest snowfall will take us in towards the morning hours. And the big concern I have will be that morning commute. We've got the extreme cold across the province, several watches and warnings. Snowfall warnings extended towards the southern interior. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, some of the heavier snowfall will continue through the afternoon hours, so a heads up. Here's what we're seeing for our mounts once again. 10 and up to 20 centimeters is what we're anticipating for most areas across the lower mainland, extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Higher amounts for Victoria will get up to 20 centimeters, and the Malahat could see that range between 20 and up to 30 centimeters. So we will see a bit of a break, actually, as early as the afternoon, so some sunshine in the mix. The interior will continue to track that snowfall late afternoon and leading and towards the evening, 10 and up to 20 centimeters. But the mountain passes, higher amounts will be along the Coquihalla as well as the Kootenai Pass. We could see closer to 15 centimeters. And the Allison Pass could get up to 20 and 25 centimeters. A concern that I have is for the Malahat as well. So again, check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Here's where we're seeing a bit of a break as we get in through the afternoon. But I also wanted to put the future cast. A busy travel day will be on Thursday. And Thursday night leading in towards our Friday, we've got another round of snow a significant amount once again so stay tuned but there's that heads up as we get in towards our holiday weekend which will be a busy travel day northern and central half of the province extreme cold temperatures minus 30 into the minus 40s southern interior into the minus 20s minus 30s for a few spot snows will taper off late in the day along the south coast we are looking at that snow easing off as we get in through the afternoon a bit of sunshine we've got the gem in the forecast and that looks to be on our wednesday a heads up And then late day Thursday and by Friday, that next round of snow is going to move in. So be prepared, especially for traveling leading in towards the weekend. Great shot. Weather window. This was captured. Some icicles. This is near Kamloops. And this was sent in from Kirk. Guys, fantastic. Trying to figure it out. All right. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Cool icicles. Been a long time since we had a brother act uh, at Rogers Centre. What's going on? Well, uh, not since... um not since Braden Shen and the Blues came to town, but they're in town tonight, so it's a Shen brother-on-brother battle at Rogers Arena. Luke against Braden, which means, of course, St. Louis and Vancouver. The Canucks sell below 500, three below 500 at home. Believe me, I mean, you want to start winning your home games. I mean, you want to start winning the games in front of your fans. The Canucks might have Brock Besser back from about was a flu tonight, but Elias Pettersson still sick and can't play. All right, look forward to that. Thank you, Squire. Uh, Also coming up, Elon Musk's Twitter meltdown and the impact on his other business, too.
the teams that come to play. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. People will still be heading to Rogers Arena despite the snow. Mm-hmm. They better get there soon. Yeah, Game no time is 7.30. The Canucks are back at it tonight against the St. Louis Blues. And once again, they will have to play without Elias Patterson, who has the flu or some sort of illness. Uh, Brock Besser was also suffering with the flu, but he is feeling better. He could play tonight. Spencer Martin will be the starting goalie. The backup will be Arthur Silos, not Colin Delia because Delia's wife just gave birth, so congratulations. Also, defenseman Travis Dermott, who hasn't played a game this season because of a concussion he suffered back in September. He's going to go down to Abbotsford on a conditioning stint, so he is not too far away from playing for the Canucks if they bring him back, which they probably will. Vancouver is coming off that loss to Winnipeg on Saturday. Now, this has been a weird season, I know, for many reasons. But one of the stranger things is the Canucks are a winning team on the road, but they're three games below 500 at home. They have thrown a lot of house-wrecking parties at Rogers Arena this year. Our, four la- our last four losses here, I mean, we've, you know, we've only scored two goals, and, uh, or three goals, sorry. And that's, uh, uh, and I don't know, we've lost 5-1, 5-1, 5-1, and 3-0, I think, out of the, the four, four games. So um, I, uh, we're trying to find answers for that. It's uh, not the easiest thing. Uh, because, um, you know, when you finish your morning meetings and, and your morning skate, you feel real good about the, the upcoming game. But we haven't had that luck. I don't know if I can put a finger on it, but I think uh, a lot has to do with us overthinking things and maybe, you know, trying to, you know, push almost too hard. And I think, uh, you know, when you hear the boos and you hear, you know, sea jerseys being thrown on the ice, it sucks. And, you know, I think that gets to your head a little bit. Um, you know, for us, I think we just have to go and... and uh, not think about that kind of th- that kind of stuff and, and play the way we know how. Um, you know, put our uh, work boots on and, and get out there and, and go and do it. Braden and Luke Shen have a lot in common. Their names are both on the Stanley Cup. They were both taken fifth overall in the NHL draft. Luke in 2008 and Braden in 2009. And of course, they also have the same parents. And even though each plays the game with the love of hitting people in different colored uniforms. They haven't been rough with each other since they were kids. Luke Shen went through his usual morning game day skate at Rogers Arena. And about an hour later, his brother Braden did the same. And tonight, they'll kindly share the ice just as they did as kids growing up in Saskatoon. Yeah, we definitely had our scraps uh, on the backyard rink for sure. And he ended up in the snowbank a few times. So it was good. I, I, actually, at one point, uh, we got in a scrap and I... Uh, I hit him or punched him in the side of the head. I'm the one that broke my hand. I broke my knuckles on on his. So uh, that was when we were about 10 or 10 or 11 years old, and uh, I ended up having to wear a cast and, and missing, uh, you know, about a month or two of hockey. So, like all good stories, there are two sides. And Braden remembers he wasn't entirely innocent on this occasion. Shot him in the eye, well, in the eye, but a close to the eye, the elastic gun, like just unintentionally. So he got mad at me back in the day and punched me in the head and broke his hand. So. Um, yeah, we were up at the cottage, and uh, he had to go get a cast on his hand, and uh, that's probably about the only real fight we got in. They may not get in a fight, but a good hard hit can be expected from the NHL's all-time leader in that category. He gave me a good cross-check last year, and, um, you know, he's obviously a physical guy. Uh, it's part of my game, and, you know, that's part of his game, being physical. And and uh, he's got to, if I have the puck, he's got to try and close me out, and, uh, you know, you laugh at it uh, about it after the game. 
Sharing a laugh is something they'll always do. Their first head-to-head -head meeting came in 2011 when Luke was with Toronto and Braden in Philadelphia. They've played against each other 10 times in the NHL and were teammates with the Flyers. Yet the novelty of being in the same NHL rink hasn't worn off. You know, pre pretty special every time, you know, you get the chance to play him. Um, you know, you got to, he, we had to hang out a little bit yesterday and do dinner and he come over and uh, play a little mini sticks with my kids and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's always special and, um, yeah, it's, it's great for the family. Well, Alex Ovechkin still looking to equal Mr. Hockey. He's taking on Mr. Hockey's team. Well, I guess Hartford Whalers, Houston Arrows, but really the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Nick Dowd, the former Canuck from Ovechkin, got two and 11 seconds. It's 2-2, and suddenly it's 3-2 for Detroit. Lucas Raymond. But it would be tied, and in overtime, Ovechkin, could he be the hero? Uh, no, it's Dmitry Orlov who's the hero. So Ovechkin stays at 800. Actually, it's 4-3, the overtime final, not 3-2, 4-3. But the right team won there. Okay, so Canada, because we didn't get any points at the World Cup, actually dropped 12 spots in the overall FIFA rankings to 53rd overall. Now, these FIFA rankings are a rolling ranking. So Belgium was second going into the World Cup. They only dropped down the fourth, even though they didn't even make it out of the group stage. Anyway, Brazil is still number one, and the champs are number two. But they don't care if they're number two because mm -hmm. really they're number one. They're the ones with the trophy. Mm, that exactly. is so true. What a storybook mm -hmm. ending for Messi too. And Canada will hopefully show great here in four years. All right, we got more. Up next, the Twitter poll that could decide Elon Musk's fate. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, of course, will be all over tonight's snow with the focus on how it's affecting travel. As you heard earlier, YVR is already seeing delays and cancellations with the snow only expected to intensify in the hours ahead. A live report from the airports at 11. We're also in touch with TransLink, BC Ferries and BC Hydro. So whatever happens tonight, you'll see it here. Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, Elon Musk has set the stage for an exit as the CEO of Twitter. The social media platform has been going through just a little bit of turbulence since he took over earlier this year, and it's not helping his other businesses either. Global's Kyle Benning has the latest. There was a brief chuckle from Elon Musk when he moved into Twitter headquarters this October, but the laughter has since left the social media giant as scandals over how Musk has managed the platform have come to light. The $44 billion transaction being viewed as a failure. It's been a black eye for Musk, a black eye for Tesla, and the Twitter situation has been a train wreck. And I think he, the poll just is further validation of what he needs to do, and that's no longer being CEO of Twitter. The unscientific poll put out by the man himself asked Twitter users whether he should step down as CEO. More than 57% of the 17 million votes counted in favor of Musk stepping aside. Even though he said he would abide by the poll's result, nothing is stopping him from remaining in charge. But thought has come to who will be his successor. There's someone that has, I think, validation within Silicon Valley, and it's one that could ultimately start to write this ship forward because this is going to be an ever-like uphill battle to turn this around. When purchasing Twitter, Musk said he viewed the application as a town square, 
a symbol of free speech. But last week, he banned a number of journalists who were critical of his actions on top of disbanding its Trust and Safety Council. Organized volunteers set up to help the platform on site decisions. Everyone. Musk's time dedicated to Twitter has also seen stock in one of his other companies crash. Tesla's share price peaked in November 2021 at $400 per share. Now, it's sitting at a discounted $150 per share. A new CEO, I think, would be regarded as being positive for both. Because I think people think he's doing badly at both. And for one of the world's richest people, the last few months surely have been no laughing matter. Kyle Benning, Global News. We're actually having a conversation in the studio about whether anybody among us needs to stay overnight here because of the weather. I do because I'm here first thing tomorrow morning. I'll be Goodness. back by 3 a.m. So we're debating about the couch. I don't <laughs> know about this. I don't re ever recall this couch being cleaned. Yeah, that's true. And this it's couch been has vacuumed. been here for like 20 years. Maybe I'll not that long. Find a sheet. A clean sheet. Okay. Maybe several. So it ha the snow is falling again. Snow is falling. Uh, be prepared. Plan ahead, especially for the morning commute. It's going to be very chilly, but we've got anywhere between 10 and up to 20 centimeters. Stay safe. Keep it right here <laughs> for the latest. We'll survive together. <laughs> See you back here tomorrow night. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.